0: Fantasy readers, this is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. In honor of today's episode landing on Halloween, I wanted to pick something that felt halloweenish. Today's story leans a little into the romance, but I couldn't pass it up because of its ghostbuster vibes. In fact, I would say this story setting is the perfect mashup of Ghostbusters and Pride and Prejudice, and I never thought I'd say those two things in the same sentence, let alone with the word perfect. The story is written by Rabia Gale, who creates strange worlds in peril and the flawed heroes who save them. She is passionate about faith and duty and redemption and identity, and she loves the alchemical zing of putting ideas together in fun ways. Dragons in space, mecca and magic, runes and the Regency era, which is probably how she came up with something I'm labeling Ghostbusters meets Pride and Prejudice. Rabia grew up in Pakistan, but currently lives in Virginia, where she homeschools her children, gardens with haphazard enthusiasm, and participates in far too many book clubs. Today you get both Pater and me narrating. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from Rabia, as well as how to enter this month's giveaway. For now, please enjoy Imp Night by Rabia Gale.
1: The day was miserable, an unhappy thing caught in a tussle between winter and spring. The sky dripped as if it had a head cold. An occasional gust of wind, like a violent sneeze, drove rain into Trey's face. All he wanted was to go home, sit in his library with a glass of brandy and one of his recently acquired books of magic, and forget this day had ever occurred. It had begun innocuously enough— Trey had been called into an office whose former occupant had not vacated it after his death. Mr. Cripps made a prim and proper ghost, hovering above his chair, his translucent hands folded upon his desk— Trey thought they'd had an eminently reasonable conversation about the necessity of Mr. Cripps moving on from the mortal plane, until the moment Cripps's face turned grey, his shoulders sprouted misshapen wings, and he lunged at Trey across the desk. From then on, Trey's day had taken a decidedly downward turn. After propelling the resistant ghost into the Shadowlands, Trey repaired to the lion for sustenance. There, while partaking of a hasty luncheon, he'd been accosted by Cole's infernally persistent younger brother. Trey told the boy, in no uncertain terms, that he would not have his death on his conscience. The younger Cole's application to the Phantasm Bureau was denied. The encounter left Trey in a gloomy mood, which made him all the more susceptible to his cousin Whitfield's coaxing charm. Ostensibly, they were only to visit Whit's Taylor but once on Bell Street, Wit whisked Trey through a series of shops that sold everything from boots to hair pomade. The number of purchases Wit deemed necessary for a man of his rank was alarmingly large. In the course of this orgy of shopping, Trey was too familiarly hailed by several of his acquaintance as St. Ash. Each instance chafed a raw place in his soul His responses to these impertinent greetings grew more aloof and caustic until he earned a scold about his manners from his cousin. Finally released from the beau's clutches, Trey escaped to the quadrangle where he was summoned to his supervisor's office. August Winter did not scold, but he dissected Trey's handling of Mr. Cripps with a pedantic precision that reminded Trey exactly why he had never gotten along with the man at Holyrood University— in the end, Cripps had been banished to the Shadowlands with minimal damage. Here Trey dismissed a broken chair, a half-melted desk, a cracked door, and a hole in the wall as unimportant trifles. Why did it matter that he'd used the Perdita paradigm over Wayne's hexagonal construct to contain the spectre? By the time Winter dismissed him, Trey felt as if his soul was bruised all over. It was an emotion that he was all too familiar with. He hated it, this feeling of having been pried out of his shell, all his soft, hidden parts exposed to the pitiless world. Other people may not notice, but the phantasms surely would. He had to get himself under control. His very life depended on it. Trey sprang up the steps to his lodgings in the city. Familiar wards tingled against his skin. The door opened, revealing his manservant, Nat. Right away, Trey knew that the evening he'd envisioned wouldn't materialize nat guardian of his master's peace wore an expression that sent a foreboding shiver down Trey's spine. What is it, he asked? You have a note from Lady Theodora Shield, sir. Her man insisted on waiting for an answer. Nat sniffed as he produced the missive. I sent him on his way, sharpish, but he'll be back. Trey broke the seal and skimmed the penned lines. His aunt had stopped briefly in Lumen on her way to White Cross Abbey, where he was sure she would be a sore trial to his father. She requested Trey to dine with her this evening if he could spare the time. "'Ah, but I'm already engaged elsewhere,' Trey said out loud. Nat's face expressed eloquent skepticism. Trey conjured up an image of the invitations he'd shoved to a corner of his desk—invitations that should have rightly gone to his older brother, damien Lumen was thin of company this time of year, but there'd been something happening to-night, he was sure of it. "'Lady Homestead's Supper,' Trey pulled the engagement from his memory with a sense of relief. "'An intimate gathering of persons of rank and taste, or so I inferred. How could I resist?' Nat folded his arms. "'You said nothing to me about this, my lord.' I forgot until today, said Trey airily, but I am prepared to make myself presentable to society. The Bell Street shops sent along my purchases, did they not? I suppose Mr. Whitfield collared you, said Nat shrewdly. Why should I not avail myself of the beau's invaluable assistance? Go lay out my clothes, Nat, while I dash off a note to my aunt offering my profuse apologies. "'Trey held the letter at arm's length in case it decided to nip him. "'Nat nodded. He knew very well that while intimate gatherings of people not well-known "'to his master were a particular torture for Trey, an evening being henpecked by his aunt "'Theodora was far worse. At least at Lady Homestead's, Trey could hide behind his armour "'of icy reserve.' Theodora would not afford him the same courtesy. She would pry and prod and talk of Damien and Trey's duty to the family, each word digging into his soul wounds. No, Lady Homestead and her guests, whomever they may be, were far preferable. Once he made up his mind, Trey acted quickly. He presented himself appropriately dressed at Lady Homestead's door within the hour. Her butler was too well-trained to express shock but the increased woodenness of his demeanor betrayed him. Becoming Viscount St. Ash hadn't changed Trey's propensity to avoid as many social engagements as possible. Gloom settled over Trey. He was no longer a plain mister. Rank came with responsibilities. He didn't need Theodora to tell him that. He headed for the stairs. Wit was coming down them. He stopped, raised his eyebrows, and looked at Trey through a quizzing glass as if to confirm his eyes had not betrayed him. Trey chose not to take umbrage at this. Leaving already, Wit? A pity. Whatever Wit's failings, his determination to mold Trey into a socially acceptable personage being one of them, he was genuinely fond of his cousin. Wit was among the few people Trey felt at ease with. Wit assented. "'Alas, I have other engagements,' he ignored Trey's muttered, get about,' and blithely went on. "'I came in briefly to express my support of Lady Homestead's charitable schemes.' Trey's mouth dropped open in horror. "'Are those what tonight's party is all about?' he demanded. Witt's grin had a malicious edge. "'Not entirely, but I expect you shall hear about them in great detail. It's not too late to turn tail and make your greeting to our aunt.' "'Trey gave a scoffing laugh. "'He should have known that Wit would guess "'what motive lay behind his sudden appearance. "'No, I'll see this through. "'I notice that you are not dining with our dear aunt either.' "'Wit waved a languid hand as he passed Trey. "'I'm not a shield, and thus not entitled to such privileges. "'I did, however, pay a morning call. "'I find the best defense is a good offense.' "'I admire your strategy,' said Trey with mock humility, then, thinking about what lay ahead of him in the upper rooms, added, "'By the by, which charity?' "'Orphans, my dear Trey,' Wit called back. "'Orphans!' "'Trey suppressed a smile at Lady Homestead's astonished expression upon beholding him. No doubt she had given up hope of his response, much less his attendance at her supper-party.' The surprise gave way to profound welcome, which put Trey on his guard at once. They exchanged social niceties, Trey apologizing for his tardiness, and Lady Homestead assuring him it was of no consequence. "'We are quite informal here tonight,' she said in her forthright manner. "'A cold supper, cards and music, and perhaps some dancing. There's no need to stand upon ceremony when we are all friends. Now, are you acquainted with everyone?' Briskly, Lady Homestead shepherded him around the room to make introductions. Trey soon discerned the reason for Lady Homestead's welcome. There were far more ladies present than gentlemen. He wished Lady Homestead would not say Lord Saint Ash with quite that ringing tone. The speculative gleam kindled in a few pairs of eyes made his shoulders hunch defensively. Still, that response was better than the ones who drew back in reflexive horror and couldn't bring themselves to meet his gaze. Now he remembered another reason why he tended to be a recluse. It was exhausting being treated as if he were a wild beast escaped from his cage. Even as his mouth-shaped pleasantries, Trey plotted his escape from this intolerable party. It would be easy enough to manufacture an emergency that needed his immediate attention. Now what was it to be? A bar guest or a specter? The efficient Lady Homestead had already moved on to her next guest. Miss Trent, have you met Lord St. Ash? Trey turned to the lady in question with a distantly polite smile, and froze. Dark ringlets and bright eyes, a fresh complexion and an expression of frank interest. Something about that look slipped past all Trey's defences and touched his soul with a painful thrill. Saints, she had to have dimples. Adorable ones tucked into her cheeks, framing a smile so full of goodwill with the world that it nearly drew one from him in response. Instead, he scowled. Miss Trent looked taken aback. She blinked. Trey schooled his features into neutrality just as Lady Homestead glanced at him to see what had surprised her guest. A small frown puckered Miss Trent's brow. "'No, I haven't had the pleasure,' her tone suggested that she doubted anyone would find meeting Lord St. Ash pleasurable. She wasn't far wrong. Disaster followed in his wake. No sensible person should want to be in his sphere, especially not a lady brimming with youthful vivacity.' No, that frisson of attraction was a feeble thing, a weak moment conjured up by Miss Trent's passing familiarity to other women he had known and loved. Now that he looked at her more closely, he was reminded that he did not admire dark-haired ladies at all, dimples and long lashes notwithstanding. Hardening his heart, Trey dismissed Miss Trent from his mind and exchanged trivialities with the last of Lady Homestead's guests, a Miss Kettering, decidedly spinsterish, with an expression that had been marinated in vinegar. He bowed and escaped that conversation a shade sooner than was entirely proper. Trey was barely two steps away when Miss Kettering leaned toward Miss Trent and whispered in her ear. Tray caught the words, Shade Hunter, and glanced at the gossip, exasperation flaring in him. Would that ridiculous epithet follow him all the days of his his thoughts jerked to a halt. For the second time in a short while, a jolt ran through him, this one entirely unpleasant. A tiny imp clung to Miss Kettering's neck, nestled under her mousy brown hair. Its hide was mold green, its eyes lantern yellow. It was paralyzed with terror. Trey's first instinct was to summon sorrow and stab through the Shadowlands creature, His fingers twitched. He checked himself. Winter's lecture about unnecessary disturbances rang in his head. The last thing he wanted was to stand in front of Winter's desk and explain why Lady Homestead's intimate gathering had descended into chaos and mayhem. Phantasmists, like servants, were supposed to be discreet. Lumen high society did not want to know about the Shadowlands, The rich and ranked wanted life to go on without that otherworldly shadow hanging over it, reminding them of their mortality. Realization dawned upon the imp that the Shade Hunter was not, in fact, acting to exterminate it. Malicious glee spread across its face, its mouth opened in a smile that showed too many pointed iron-gray teeth— Imps were not concerned about future events. What mattered was how much trouble it could cause right now. Trey could see its brash nature assert itself once more. He gave the imp a ferocious glare, silently telling it to mind its manners. Then he realized that Miss Trent, just beyond Miss Kettering's imp-draped shoulder, had caught the full blast of his ire. Her eyes met his reproachfully. Trey sighed. Departure was out of the question, not until he had disposed of the imp, an imp that he could tell would defy all his efforts to be discreet, as Winter would wish him to be. It was going to be a long and tiresome evening.
0: Arabella Trent did not know what to make of Lord St. Ash. When he had first looked at her, she'd been sure she had seen warmth kindle in his gray eyes. The next moment, His expression shuddered, and he favored her with a most fearsome look. Arabella, who had come to Lumen determined to please and be pleased, was quite shaken by the reception. Her uneasiness increased as Miss Kettering poured out tales of the young Viscount's past and present occupations. Shade hunter? Border walker? Infamous family on both sides? Ignorant though she was of the larger world of magic, Arabella's own impressions corroborated Miss Kettering's gossip. Even sheathed for a party, Lord St. Ash's magic carried a kind of lightning sharpness, mingled with an alien touch. And if she could sense all this from him, might he have also noticed the taint in her own soul? The things that she had buried deep in her zeal to enjoy her present life to the fullest? Was he about to expose her? Arabella's stomach tightened. Or maybe not. It took Arabella only a little more observation to decide that the Viscount might only be a curmudgeon. He stood apart from the crowd, leaning his shoulder against the mantle, bored resignation written all over his face. Any who dared approach him were greeted with aloof disdain and perfunctory replies. He appeared to have no friends here. Then why, thought the bewildered Arabella, had he even bothered to come? Next to her, Miss Kettering moved on to other subjects, her confidences underscored with an acrimonious glee. It delighted her to share the faults and falls of those above her. Arabella listened in discomfort. She had seen enough of Miss Kettering to pity the older woman, who had neither beauty nor charm, rank nor wealth, to recommend her, and consequently had been snubbed and overlooked all her life. However— she could not be comfortable with Miss Kettering's obvious relish in the misfortunes of others, especially debutantes like Arabella herself. Any effort to turn the conversation in a more uplifting direction came to naught. A sense of peril, like walking on thin ice, overtook Arabella. Disheartened, she wondered whether in a few months Miss Kettering would be whispering to someone else about her. Really, between the disagreeable Viscount and Miss Kettering— her pleasant evening was turning out quite dismal indeed. She threw a beseeching glance at her friend Lady Stanhope, but Viola was deep in conversation with some others. From the intensity of their manner, she supposed them to be discussing the running of Lady Homestead's model orphan house. Arabella, who had strong opinions on the matter, longed to have a part in this conversation and wondered how to untangle herself from Miss Kettering. It didn't help that Lord St. Ash kept looking in her direction, his expression inscrutable. A new mood draped, web-like, over the gathering, a feeling of unease and imbalance. Two matrons, admiring some fancy work, found the threads hopelessly tangled. A very young lady, barely sixteen, dropped her glass, splashed wine all over her dress, and dissolved into tears of mortification. Her mother, attempting to help her, found her own turban slipping halfway off her head. The pair fled to another room to repair the damages. A difference of opinion among gentlemen turned into an argument so heated Arabella feared it would end in blows, until Lady Homestead intervened. Guests stumbled over furniture leg and carpet fringe, stepped on feet and hems, lost hairpins and fobs. Arabella observed the deterioration of Lady Homestead's evening with dismay. Miss Kettering with malicious pleasure, Lord St. Ash dispassionately. It was at this point that Lady Stanhope brightly suggested dancing. Arabella thought such a thing might lead to disaster, but she backed up her friend's efforts to salvage the evening. Her hand was claimed by a middle-aged gentleman, and the fact that all made it through the first set without mishap restored her cheerfulness. Then fate, in the person of Lord Homestead, took a hand in the most mischievous way possible. Lord Homestead was a good-humored and indolent little man, a contrast to his brisk and energetic spouse. All of her endeavors had his wholehearted blessing, but he seldom bestirred himself to do more than beam fondly over his wife's charities and present himself at her parties. But perhaps the sight of Lord St. Ash propping up his mantelpiece produced a vague sense of a host's duty in him, for he approached the aforementioned gentleman with a hearty amiability that was undeterred by its object's frostiness. Arabella Observing this without ever quite asking herself why her gaze strayed so often in that direction, felt a small stirring sympathy for that irascible lord. Deplorable though his manners might be, she had noticed the slight tension of his shoulders, the hunted look that flickered into his eyes as he was approached by the over-familiar. She heard, passing by on her way back to her seat, Lord Homestead make a jovial remark about how pleasant it was to see young people enjoy themselves with something so wholesome and healthy as dancing. Arabella smothered a chuckle at the sight of Lord St. Ash's look of horror, but he restrained himself to a dry, quite so. Indeed, Lord Homestead worked himself up into a state of good-humored action. I would like it above all things to see you dance, St. Ash, You cut quite a dashing figure, dear fellow, and I'm sure the ladies would like it above all things. At this fateful moment, his gaze fell upon Arabella. Not dancing, Miss Trent? he exclaimed. That will never do. St. Ash, have you met my wife's protege? She will be the toast of the town this season, no doubt about it. Have you ever seen such a dashed pretty gel? Arabella Covered in crimson confusion and bemoaning the impulse that had brought her into Lord Homestead's orbit, uttered some hopelessly disjointed remarks to this, Lord Homestead possessed himself of her hand and patted it. It's insupportable for such a lady to have to sit out a dance at my wife's party. He gave the sardonic-looking viscount an arch look. You won't find a better-looking partner, St Ash in vain did Arabella protest that she meant to rest her feet. The next set was being made up. Lord Homestead was convinced only a becoming modesty lay behind her denials. A streak of obstinacy in his makeup would not deter him in what had suddenly become his dearest wish, to see Lord St. Ash dance with Miss Arabella Trent. The Viscount raised a questioning eyebrow, then broke the impasse with a perfectly correct bow and asked with all gravity, If you would honor me with a dance, Miss Trent. He held his hand out to her, with such an imperious air, she thought indignantly. Despite herself, Arabella found herself meekly putting her own hand in his. His clasp was strong and warm and, to her vexation, thrilling. She scolded herself for her foolish reaction as he led her onto the dance floor. His demeanor was remote. He held her hand in a detached manner. Don't you dare, Arabella Trent. Don't you dare let a handsome face turn your head for he was fine figure of a man. She had to admit as she faced him and curtsied, even if his aloofness rankled. Of course, a man of position and wealth could afford to give offense if he chose. Still, if she had a captive audience... Arabella waited until they faced each other again and favored the Viscount with her most brilliant smile. Tell me, my lord, what do you think of the way we treat orphans in Lumen?
1: It didn't take Trey long to realize that any opinions he held on the subject of orphans were woefully ill-informed. Miss Trent spoke eloquently of their plight, painting a truly pitiable picture. Indignation rang in her voice as she spoke of the callousness of a society that claimed to be moral but ignored such misery in its midst. She appealed to him with Don't you think, sir, that we can, indeed we should, do better with how much we've been given? Trey assented, admiring the way passion brightened her eyes and touched her cheeks with becoming color. Miss Trent went on to extol the virtues of Lady Homestead's Orphan House, organized around the soundest and most enlightened principles of child-rearing, for, as she went on, it was not enough to feed the body, they had a duty to feed the minds and souls of their charges. Here Trey's attention was attracted by the imp, which was now shaking its backside rudely at an oblivious Lord Homestead. Trey made a subtle gesture. An ether trap snapped shut in empty air as the imp nimbly dodged it and leapt onto a matron's coiffure. It grinned evilly at Trey from its perch. He'd prevented its greater depredations upon the gathering, but even minor pranks could result in injury. Trey sent a flicker of magic at the imp, which started, scowled, bounded onto the back of a sofa and scampered back to Miss Kettering, to whom it was quite attached. Her envy and bitterness fed the creature, creating a bond between them, Removing it from her would require more delicacy than he had originally thought. But at least it had finally returned to her. Trey slapped Arun to hold the imp in place while he sorted spells in his head. Miss Trent made a remark that sounded like a question. Yes, indeed, Trey said absently. Dancing, like sword fighting, came easily to him. He didn't need to think about the steps. His body remembered the movements with ease. Truly? Miss Trent faced him once more, her countenance aglow. Even dazzled as he was, something warned Trey to be cautious. He reviewed the last few sentences of Miss Trent's soliloquy. "'I—yes,' he said guardedly. "'I'm delighted you consider the addition of a wing a worthy investment,' said Miss Trent warmly. I've been sadly disappointed in people who live on such lavish estates and yet begrudge these children even a few extra rooms. Children must have places to learn and play. An image of White Cross Abbey and its extensive parks flashed into Trey's mind. He immediately felt guilty about inheriting such a domicile when Lumen orphans had to make do with half a cardboard box, or so was his impression from Miss Trent. You are doing a wonderful thing, my lord, Miss Trent assured him. We shall inscribe your name on a brick, along with those of our other most generous patrons. That wide eyed stare, that emphasis on most generous, it dawned on her partner that Miss Trent was doing it a little too brown. That chit, he thought, swallowing back a laugh, she is determined to extract as much money as she can for her pet charity. "'I'll forego having my name on a brick,' he told her. "'It might ruin my reputation for meanness.' "'She nodded gravely. "'Indeed, you may count on my discretion. "'How much may I put you down for, my lord?' "'A hundred pounds,' said Trey recklessly. "'He had the satisfaction of seeing Miss Trent visibly dumbfounded. "'Dismay and contrition flickered across her open countenance. "'Are you... are you quite sure, my lord?' She choked out. My dear Miss Trent, Trey raised his eyebrows, do but think of the orphans. With that, the dance came to an end. He bowed to his partner, enjoying her discomfiture. No doubt Miss Trent's means were far more modest, but Trey had several thousand pounds a year, no dependents, and few expenses. His lodgings in the city, though a source of painful embarrassment to his family, were a meager dent on his purse. She bit her lip as he led her from the dance floor, her zeal for orphans battling with a concern for his finances. Her inner conflict both amused and touched him. When Miss Trent opened her mouth, probably to beg him to reconsider, Trey forestalled her with a bracing. "'Now, now, Miss Trent, that will never do. You must know that we in high society are a frippery, dissolute lot, bent on our own pleasures.' You must allow to us to exercise some selflessness once in a while. It's for our own good. And then, maybe it was due to some subtle influence of the imp that had wound its tail firmly around Miss Kettering's neck, he added, Would you honor me with another dance? He didn't know who was more surprised, Miss Trent or himself. Her look suspected him of having hidden and mischievous designs. The truth was much simpler he found her utterly charming. The realization came as an unpleasant shock, a sudden imbalance in the world. Trey had not thought himself capable of such a response, not so soon. Not after all that had happened last summer. A familiar twist of dull agony burned in his chest. Miss Trent considered him thoughtfully. I would like to rest my feet, my lord. However, If you are still in the humor for dancing, there are several ladies who've had to sit out. Relief surged through him at her refusal. Another dance, and he might be well entrapped by her bewitching smile, sparkling eyes, and midnight hair. Still, he couldn't let her remark pass without a riposte. Another charity, Miss Trent? Oh, no, Miss Trent shuddered. It would be too mortifying to be danced with out of pity. How odious! "'No, I think you might find Lady Homestead's guests more interesting and amiable than you expected. People often are, once you take the time to get to know them. You may even enlarge your acquaintance. It'd be for your own good, of course,' she dimpled. Abominable girl. The corners of Trey's mouth twitched, but he kept his face straight. "'How right you are, Miss Trent. I believe Lady Stanhope wishes to speak to you now.' He bowed and removed himself from Miss Trent's proximity before he lost all vestiges of good sense. At least she had given him a good idea. His eyes fixed upon the imp. He made his way Miss Kettering words. No one had taken the place Miss Trent had vacated, leaving the woman with a ring of empty space around her. Her sour expression was not at all inviting. Trey felt a sudden fellow feeling for her. She craned her neck up as he approached. Misgiving in every line of her. Miss Kettering, would you do me the honor of dancing with me? Miss Kettering stared at him, stupefied. Her mouth dropped slightly open. A deep flush climbed up her neck and cheeks. I. Are you jesting, my lord? Not at all, Miss Kettering. The imp clutching the side of her neck bared its fangs. Trey's smile grew steely. Just you wait. I, well, I suppose, I, if you insist, Miss Kettering spluttered, and Tray took ruthless advantage of her confusion to take her out to the center of the room, ignoring the astonished glances cast their way. He smiled at her as they took their places. She returned it tentatively, and he thought there was a hidden prettiness about her, something that might bloom into a great deal more given the right nourishment. It's been such a while since I last danced, my lord, she confided. Don't worry. Trey fixed his gaze on the imp. Everything will be fine. I'll make sure of it. He readied an entrapment spell.
0: Arabella watched Miss Kettering dance with Lord St. Ash with mixed feelings. She couldn't make out the man at all. He had spent most of the evening either scowling in her direction or standing bored and haughty against the mantelpiece. Lord Homestead had practically forced him to dance, and Arabella herself, she owned fairly, had used the opportunity to separate the Viscount from his money for her own cause. Yet Lord St. Ash had endured it all patiently, and now he danced with Miss Kettering of his own volition, no resignation or annoyance in his manner. The lady simpered and fluttered, obviously delighted at the attention. The Lord smiled with grave sincerity. Arabella was too far away to make out more, but she imagined the corners of his eyes crinkling as he smiled, warmth stealing into his expression, humor transforming his stern face. A shiver stole over her. She shook it off. Stop it, Arabella. Don't think of it. Don't even look at him. Arabella turned away, a rueful smile at the corners of her mouth. The Viscount had done in a few moments what she herself had failed to do all evening, to draw Miss Kettering out from her simmering resentment and allow her a time of open, unaffected enjoyment. Arabella felt a certain proud glow at that, given that the Lord had acted on her advice. A sudden and familiar feeling pinched the skin between her shoulder blades. Shock punched through Arabella leaving her momentarily breathless. She looked back sharply, but the dancers still stepped, the matrons still chatted, the men still played cards. Arabella fought to calm her racing heart. How stupid of her. No one would be using entrapment magic at a ton party. She'd been mistaken, that's all.
1: Trey left Homestead's house with a jaunty air, an angry captive imp wriggling in the pocket of his topcoat. He'd dispose of it when he returned home. You see, Winter, he pictured himself saying to his supervisor, Perdita's paradigm was eminently suitable to the task, and no one the wiser. In fact, Trey was in such good humor that he even nodded pleasantly to the short, plump gentleman who bowed deferentially to him on the steps down to the footpath. The evening had not been entirely a waste. An imp captured, a charity assisted, an aunt thwarted. He'd even had a pleasant chat with Miss Kettering, who, as it turned out, had spent many happy summers of her girlhood visiting relatives in the village close to White Cross Abbey. And as for the passing fancy he'd had for the bewitching Miss Arabella Trent? Well, he was not foolish enough to indulge that. Removed from her proximity, occupied with his own work, he'd soon forget her. In two weeks, he thought to himself, I probably won't even remember what she looks like. He whistled to himself as he walked home, his heart safe, his own man once more.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to Imp Night by Rabia Gale, narrated by Peter Franson of Christian Geek Central and Corinne Norton. If you want to read more by Rabia, go to rabiagale.com to find more of her books. You'll especially want to check out Ghostlight, which continues the story you heard on today's episode with the same world and characters. I'll have a direct link for it in the show notes. This month's giveaway includes a signed paperback copy of Rabia's book, Ghostlight, so if you want a chance to win, go to findingfantasyreads.com slash giveaway to enter. If you enjoyed listening to Pater narrate the story, you might also enjoy listening to his podcast, Christian Geek Central, where he discusses movies, video games, and all things enjoyed by self-proclaimed geeks from a Christian worldview. This Saturday, he is doing a charity live stream event, which means he is live streaming himself playing video games for 24 hours in order to raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, which is constantly helping kids fight cancer. The live stream event gets a little crazy, especially if you catch him playing in the wee hours of the morning, but it's also fun enough that I usually stop by for a couple hours. This year, I'll be there hanging out around 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific time. So if you happen to tune in at that time, you'll get to learn a little bit more about the two narrators behind the podcast. Probably more than you want to know. I will have the links I mentioned in the show notes, along with links to his YouTube channel, where you can watch the live stream, and his Patreon page, where you can donate for the St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading.